Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Arvidsson sprints across, gets to the box, circles, centers, they score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Arvidsson perfectly weighted pass to those scores! Another gorgeous primary assist for Victor Arvidsson. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We're trying on some new music here today. This one is called King Walk. I'm sure you can figure out why I chose this one. We're going to crown a king of the week here today, and then I'm going to climb up on my soapbox and talk a bit about the penalty kill and a bit about media literacy in the hockey media world. Tell me to do all of that. Zach Dooley. All right, time to crown another king of the week. We missed last week. Apologies. Um, but joining me now for this week, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, I'm good. And I think we only had one game last week, right? Or maybe two. So I feel uh, like three. we're... Three? It was three last week? Three, okay. yeah. We've got Vegas, Colorado, and Philadelphia. No, the, the week that you said. Oh, the previous missed, week. Like Anaheim, Calgary, the... and Arizona. Three, though. No, it was three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I wrote yeah. down what I would pick anyway, so at the end of the year, it'll be reflected in the standings. Okay, that'll that'll count. All right. <laughs> uh, but for anybody listening, last week, last Monday, we had the uh, memories of the 2012, 2011-2012 season, as told by the players and coaches and executives who lived through it. If you haven't listened to that, I recommend you go back to it. But Zach, we're going to start off with your runner-up for King of the Week this week. No more honorable mention. Oh, sorry. Yes, honorable mention. It's been removed. Yeah, no, you're right. You are very, you are correct. You miss it for one week and you forget the whole. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, all right. So for my honorable mention, I'm going to give it to Quinton Byfield, and I'm going to give it to Quinton Byfield because he had two plays in the Colorado game that were very good that led to King's goals that he got no points for Uh, from his play there. He got a promotion to the first line. He played his first game on the wing um, in the game against Philly and was brought back up from the AHL and has worked his way up in doing so. So because he didn't get rewarded with a point for either of those plays, I'm going to reward him with an honorable mention nominee. All right, I'm going with a former line mate of his, Alex Iafalo. Two goals, two assists, four points, a plus two, 1.33 points per game. And that whole line really has been on a tear. Um, and I, Alex Iafalo has been very good, um, but not as good as the other two players in my mind. So for me, he's the good. obvious answer is what you said, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, not uh, could could easily be higher on most weeks. He's probably. Not the honorable mention. He's probably, you know, the king of the week or the the runner up. Mm. So you're uh, you're runner up in that case. 
My runner-up, I'm going to go with um, Victor Arvidsson. Um, I'm sure you might have him as the king of the week, as you probably do every week. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go with Victor Arvidsson. Uh, I believe he had a point in all three games, um, five assists and a goal in total. So very strong showing from Victor Arvidsson. Um, the primary assist king of Los Angeles, um, as we all know, um, been very good. As you mentioned, that line is kind of on a tear and he is a massive facilitator in that success. He is. And I approve of your selection. Uh, I, however, am going with the center on Alex. I line for my runner up, uh, Phil to uh, because like I said, that entire line really having a heck of a stretch. Uh, but Phil Deneau in the three games we're talking about three goals, two assists, five points, um, 1.67 points per game, you know, 57.4% in the faceoff circle and looking f- fantastic while doing it. So uh, that's my runner up, Phil Deneau. Zach, then your king of the week. Well, my king of the week was Deneau, um, a goal <laughs> in each of the games, um, yeah. a three game point streak and a point streak that if you want to, account for the week that we didn't do for King of the Week. His point streak actually is that deep. I think he's on a six gamer right now. Um, so he's on a tear for sure. A uh, big part of that line. And for all the reasons that you just mentioned, I will give him my King of the Week. An, an excellent choice. And yeah, last week, I sort of went back and tried to remember what I would have thought a week ago. And I, I think what I came up with was uh, Kempe, Copley, and I follow for last week. But... Uh, um, I can always be talked into giving uh, Phil Deneau some uh, recognition. But unfortunately, Zach, the correct answer, as you've already identified, is Victor Arvidsson. Uh, led the team in, in points, if not goals, this week. Five assists, one goal, uh, six points. You know, got me mentioned on the telecast by Jim Fox, which uh, can't be overlooked. And uh, somebody that's on a that, message that, board. That in itself. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest assist you can get. So, <laughs> but... You know, Victor Arvidsson is playing really, really well, and I don't think it's any coincidence that him playing really well is contributing to his line mates getting on the board. They're all playing quite well. Um, So congratulations, Victor Arvidsson, this week's King of the Week. We've got the King of the Week out of the way, and we have a larger conversation that I want to discuss, but I meant to have this conversation with you earlier in the year. Um, mainly because I want to, I want to have the people get to know you better, and I want to get to know you better. So you have these little, you know, as you and I spend more time sitting next to each other in the press box, and we spend more time talking at work and everything. I'm getting to know you better, and one thing I know about you for sure is that you like a very crisp. Uh, <laughs> we were watching the Philadelphia game, and uh, Jordan Samuels Thomas was the referee. And it was said that he calls the game by the book. You like your national anthems by the book. Um, I do. So I, I'm just curious if you could share with us a little bit about uh, your philosophy on the national anthem and how you came to it. Someone else's song. Mm-hmm. So that was meaning someone else wrote it. Way. Someone else wrote it. Okay. Um, and this is going to be weird and very technical and stupid. But when I worked in the minor leagues, you sell the anthem to whoever, like a school of six-year-olds buys a hundred group tickets and says, we want to sing the anthem mm-hmm. as terrible as it is. It doesn't matter. They get to sing it and it's great for them and their parents. And it's a fun time. I sang it when I was an eight-year-old. I was terrible. I'm sure. Where did you sing it? 
at the Albany River Rats game as a part of a chorus, like sure. not myself. Yeah. Um, though I did once play the anthem on the trumpet at a high school basketball game solo. Amazing. Yeah. So I am a, I am a one time, two time performer myself. All right. Um, so obviously I'm qualified, but we had a high school music teacher who was a season ticket holder who came in one day and said that our anthems were not being sung at the proper pace that the song was written to be sung at. And I was thinking, I was like, well, I don't really care about the technical side of it, but like, let's speed this thing up. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. like a slow anthem. I like it done a certain way. Um, And yeah, I think it's just personal preference. Like I, it was meant to be sung a certain way. So I like it sung a certain way. Do you feel that, like, how do you feel about covers of other songs? Hit or miss, right? Always hit or miss. Sometimes there's a, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. No, it's a, I don't have like a, a personal issue with it. Because my assumption, so I grew up, right, I've said it before, you know, born in Canada, raised in the States, my dad's Canadian, my mom, sorry, my dad's Canadian, my mom's American. So growing up, when we would go to the games, I always had a real, and my mom, I should point out, is like a real strict uh, anti-establishmentarianist leanings. So for me, the anthem was always sort of like an eye roll, like, okay, yeah, yeah, Pledge of Allegiance, National Anthem. Now, for the record, I don't think it should be performed anyway would be my actual opinion but so that's why i was gonna ask because i was wondering if it was because there are some people who have a very strong uh i don't it's not necessarily political but a very strong you know national pride angle to it right like it's our country song you should take it seriously and everything and i know i never knew if that's where you're coming from i had no idea you performed it live on the trumpet that's amazing one time when i was like 12 um my i you know it gives you chills when you're in a building when the entire arena sings it it's really really cool especially you know in canada who everyone knows it everyone likes to sing it it's really special but at the same time i mean the kings are playing the ducks and there's 30 40 players on the ice and 30 of them were not born here like mm-hmm. what's the point but it is done it's not going to change so i just like it done a certain way and if the whole building wants to sing it then I think that that's the best way to do it because it's just really cool. You and I have talked about different things. Uh, Croissants is the one that I always go back to as the perfect example of things where the gap between the best version of that thing and the worst version of that thing are huge. You know, like a bad croissant is really, really disappointing and a good croissant Mm -hmm. is, you know, heavenly. The national anthem, I think, fits into that category, right? Like a really great oh, yeah. anthem experience can be fantastic, and a really bad anthem experience can just be brutal and feel like it's taking forever. We had a words forgotten in Ottawa this year. Yeah, we had a words forgotten. That was I've seen that one. I've seen some sat through some really really bad ones in my time in the minor leagues. That's for sure. So when you get a good one, you do appreciate it. We're fortunate enough to stick out to Hannah Davy to have an mm-hmm. excellent anthem singer at the moment. Um, well, right, next- well, well above. Well above average, that's for yeah. sure. Very, <laughs> yeah. very good. Very, very good. Yeah, the anthems, anthem smiles per 60 is high with, high. Uh, with Hannah Davey. So there's another conversation that I wanted to have with you, Zach. And I went out and I got permission from at least one other person to have this conversation about them. It's not really about them, but they factor into it. Um, because I was on a message board, I was reading comments, and this conversation has been sort of coming up here and there. And that is the notion of quotes that we collect from athletes and players. 
And I'm just going to choose one at random. Well, it's not at random, but this is one that randomly came in front of me, and I'm going to use it for two reasons. One, because I don't have a strong opinion about it one way or the other. So I'm, I'm hoping that my personal opinion won't be reflected in this particular conversation. And two, okay. because the person who asked the question, Andrew Knoll, is about as non-controversial as they come and gave me permission to use him as this example. So easy peasy. The question is that there was a quote from Tom McClellan uh, after the last game against the Philadelphia Flyers. And Andrew Knoll asked him about the power, about the penalty kill. Excuse me, not the mm-hmm. penalty. And the question was, I probably should have written it down, but the gist of it was you've allowed a penalty, uh, a, a shorthanded goal, not a shorthanded goal, you know what I mean. You've allowed a power play goal for 10 games in a row. Is the power play or is the penalty kill a point of concern? Right? Does it, you know, is that upsetting? And Todd McClellan's answer was essentially, even if the numbers are not great, it's getting better. You may think I'm crazy, but we think it's getting better. We're not as concerned about it, despite that stat. And I saw some people responding to just his answer, right? The, 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 someone tweeted it on, on Twitter. The, the quote was out there. And the response was just to that quote taken out of context. And the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is because how long have we been talking to Todd McClellan and the players about the penalty kill in the morning skates and the practices and after games now? Um, weeks. At it's, least, it certainly, right? <laughs> certainly predated the homestand that the Kings are on and certainly dated well back onto the road trip to the East Coast, which was which takes us back probably close to a month. Right. And the amount of quotes and conversations that have been had about the penalty kill that go back those weeks have contained all sorts of angles and, and Mm -hmm. you know, the timing of a penalty kill, you know, the strategy of a penalty kill, the pressure, you know, the aggressiveness. When do you look for breakout plays to try and score shorthanded if you're penalty kill? Like we, I don't know how many players you've talked to about it, but I mean, I've talked to at least a handful and we've had plenty of questions from Todd McClellan about it. And I went ahead and I looked up on the season. The penalty kill is 71.6% tied for fourth worst in the league. In November, they were 61.8% DFL in the league. Uh, In December, 70.7% seventh worst. Uh, In the last 10 games, 69.1% sixth worst. But, since the Buffalo game, which is the game that Todd McClellan has chosen to identify as being like when they turned it around, yeah, um, seventy-five point eight percent, which is still eleventh worst in the league, but is a marked improvement mm-hmm. from November and from December, and is better than the total season record. But the reason I asked that I brought it up, and and I'll stop rambling in a second, I promise. And the reason that I asked Andrew if I could mention him in this long rambling story is that the only person that I can think of that's at every game, post game, every practice, every morning skate, and essentially every opportunity to talk to Todd McClellan is you. After that, Carlin goes on the road. She's in some of the post game practices, uh, post game reports on the road. Um, She's at most of the post game reports 
at home. Sometimes Patrick is called away and she does host it. So she has other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Jim and Daryl are at most of the practices at home. I'm assuming they're at most of the practices on the road. But they yep. have responsibilities after the game, so they're not in the post-game scrums. I'm at most, if not all, of the practices at home and all of the post-game ones at, at home. So my point is there's a pretty wide disparity of attendance for these conversations, but the conversations last over all of these events. And you'll notice when Todd is asked questions in post-game press conferences that he'll reference back to other conversations had either that morning or on previous days. And sometimes the people asking the questions, Andrew Knoll in this case, that's his one opportunity to ask that question. Mm -hmm. He's asking his question to get a very specific quote to write his very specific story. He wasn't there for the previous conversations and probably doesn't care about the previous conversations because that's, he's not looking to write catalog two months worth of nuanced discussion on the penalty kill he's there to write his story and so i just want to sort of urge fans that the quotes are great and and you should use information to color your opinions about the teams but just try and remember that like every question every answer that you hear given whether it's from a player or a coach is part of one conversation one question in a much larger conversation um do you think I'm overthinking that? This is a very long intro to what I hope is a. I'm not really sure where you're going with this. Well, that's sort of it. I've sort of gone there. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a very you spelled it out almost flawlessly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, with that specific topic, like it's it's one of those where it's like still a story because it's what, whatever the stat was 10 straight games. So like a question about it then is just as fair as a question that morning or the game before the game before, because the streak continued, just like if you asked a question about Phil Deneau's point streak or Phoenix Copley's winning streak or whatever stat you want to choose, like when it's a streak of that length, like it's still a storyline and still a narrative. Um, so I, I, I like I, I didn't have any issue with that question at all. Like it was perfectly, perfectly fine and got a strong answer, um, even even if it's an answer that you might look at. And he, he Todd admitted it, right? He's like, you might think I'm insane, but I think it's getting better um, and didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with the question or the answer. I thought it was relevant for sure. No, I had no problem. I had no problem with either. And like I said at the outset, not only that, I... <sighs> I just don't have an opinion about the penalty kill. Um, I understand that teams have to have a strong penalty kill, but my attitude when I'm watching the games is usually, oh, the teams on the penalty kill, they might get scored on. So when they do, I'm not inclined to spend a lot of time examining why or how it happened. So if other people want to criticize a strategy or a formation or deployment, I generally speaking, I kind of don't care. Um, it's only if I go back and look at a long season and I happen to notice like, oh, that guy was on the ice for a ton of goals against that I go, oh, mm-hmm. well, that, that's interesting. But I don't really care. But my my reaction was more just reacting to fan conversations and I'm not going to go the route and call everybody donkeys um, like some of our <laughs> colleagues would. Um, but, you know, when I say stuff like happiness is measured by expectation, this is just one of those areas where I. I do think it's important because it stood out to me that like 
you and I have heard Todd McClellan talk about the penalty kill probably more than anything. It feels like more than anything else recently. I don't know. Maybe I'm focusing it's on the wrong de- It's thing. definitely one of the few biggest storylines as of late, for sure. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that overall things have gone so, so well that it can't just be all perfect, right? Like there still are flaws and areas that need to be improved. And the penalty kill is a glaring one. When you look at that statistic, like the Kings were of those 10 games, they won what eight of them. Mm-hmm. Like they were winning big games despite that stat. Um, so it's still like, it. it is something I think that maybe gets focused on more because of there aren't too many areas to pick at right now. So maybe that's a continued one. Um, a big narrative before that was like the penalty kill was getting timely kills. Even if it was giving up one a game, it there was a stretch where they killed one in overtime, I think three straight overtimes. In Colorado, they got two late in the third period. Um, so it was kind of like, all right, well, maybe overall, yeah, the number is about what it is, but they're getting the kill when they need it. That's preserved a point or preserved the chance to get two points. Um, and certainly has been one of the longest lasting storylines for sure. Um, and the power play has been a little bit better than it was, especially last year. Um, so maybe that's one, one side of special teams is clicking. So it's like, okay, well, the one is working better. Why isn't the other side working better? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting point. Here, here's the quote. We seem to have given up, or we seem to give up one a night in various ways still, so the numbers aren't looking good. Yet the penalty kill has improved. You may think I'm insane, but that's how we see it. And the response that made me want to talk about this was fans sort of saying, essentially criticizing the observation on McClellan's part. And I understand that this probably sounds like I'm coming out to defend and cape for McClellan, and I'm I'm really not because my this is now, why I, I see where you're going with this now. I took a I didn't click with me, but like it's almost like a, it's like the Buffalo game or the Pittsburgh game earlier in the year where I was watching. I was like, I actually thought the Kings were playing pretty well. And here they are down three to zero or like I thought the Kings played very well in Buffalo for 40 minutes and zero zero. And then they got shellacked in the third. But it's like, I don't know, you can you can see growth and development and improvements despite not having the outcome and you can feel like something's on the cusp it's almost like a player who hasn't scored in six games but there's a couple games in a row where his chances are going up and you're like he's all over the puck he's all over the net he's about to score and then three games later he scores like it's an accumulation of things we had that earlier with adrian kempe with adrian exactly what i was thinking of like you could tell that he was about to break out but it didn't come for a bit and then he finally did and he got back on pace to where he normally would be not saying that the penalty kills now going to go six games without giving up a goal, but you can see improvements without result. Not saying like, yeah, I agree or disagree with them, but like it is possible to see improvements without actually getting that support. And it's possible the other way, like the penalty kill could give up eight posts a night and a puck doesn't go in. doesn't mean it's perfect. Maybe they're getting lucky and maybe it's the other way. Maybe they're getting unlucky. And the reason I dug up those numbers, right, was to, so, you know, like the penalty kill, we talk about it like, oh, 71.6. But that's not what it is. Just like, you know, people would reference Gabriel Velarde and say, well, he's leading the team with 13 goals. But if he has however many games it is without a goal, well, it doesn't 
really matter how many he's got on the year, right? What we need, what we're focusing on at any given moment is how any one given game is played. Um, and part of the reason that this conversation stood out to me, I think I referenced it to you in a conversation a few days ago was a fan asked me, well, what are we supposed to do? What, what conclusions are we supposed to come to when information, when all the information isn't presented, mm -hmm. you know, what are we supposed to do, but come to the most logical conclusion based on what little data is available. And I, at first blush was like, well, yeah, that's a hundred percent right. You, you make your guesses based on the little information you have. But then I remembered the iceberg metaphor where you see a tiny little piece of ice floating on the surface of the water. You have no idea that there's this massive, gigantic, potentially dangerous iceberg under the surface. And so the real conclusion to come to is you don't actually know all the information and you know you don't know all the information. So. And this is why I chose the penalty kill conversation, because I don't care <laughs> about the penalty kill. I mean, I care about it, but I don't have strong opinions about it. So given that there are all these conversations happening, given that there's all these practices, there's these statistical breakdowns. You know, if you go deep into any of these sites, you can see rolling 10 game averages. You can see the mm -hmm. trends that are forming. Um, is my polite way, I think, of telling people to calm down, I, I think. The example that when you just went through that, that I thought of is like when the Kings send a player down on an off day mm -hmm. and certain people feel the need to see that move as a, as a definitive move that's going to impact the team when they next play in 48 hours. But in reality, we don't know what's going to happen in those 48 hours. And history has told us a lot that making those moves one day doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be on the ice at 11 a.m. the next day for practice. It just means that they aren't there on this off day when nothing whatsoever is impacting the LA Kings. doesn't mean that they won't be at, with the team tomorrow for practice or the day after for the game. It just means they aren't there right now. But it's almost like we got the information right now. So we have to think that this information is finite and it's exactly what is going to impact the team the next time that they play even though that's so far away and that's a perfect opportunity to remind people that frequently information is either given as part of an organizational um strategy so for example if the kings release a player to ontario or, or assign a player to ontario for a day or two or whatever they're aware that that information is going to be public right it has to be whether that, right Right. Whether hitting the waiver wires or the AHL transaction page or, you know, in Jordan Spence's case, right, he was assigned to Ontario yesterday. He played in the game in right. Ontario last night. So they know it's going to happen. The announcement is made. There are other decisions. Uh, earlier this season, Cal Peterson was placed on waivers in advance of him being sent to Ontario. The team didn't make an, a, a statement about it the day he was placed on waivers because organizationally the policy is not to make comments. And right. you, there's no statement to be made other than it happened. Right. And, and people found out, right. So there was and, no transaction. Right. Per se. Exactly. And yeah. there's a, there's a dozen reasons I could think of why you wouldn't make comment on it. You, the player might not, you know, want you to, the player may not get claimed. You may not make it, whatever. The point is that's the company. Policy. But if the players placed on waivers and Jonathan quick gets injured that night at home. Right. <laughs> right. You think, do you think the decision maybe doesn't right? Like it, <laughs> right. 
Um, so, but regardless of, of that particular example, the point is the company has a policy, no comment, so no comment given. But even in that situation, I saw people in the media, not even just fans, responding to right the team's lack of a statement and criticizing mm-hmm. them for it, despite the fact that the next morning, both coach and GM were made available for an extended you know, media availability. So even that one was then, super interesting too, because you know that that was not the first player that's been placed on waivers, right? Uh, it was just the first time that it was a player that a statement was desired about. I think, um, you know, when when a player is placed on waivers during training camp and is sent down, it's the same structure, the same protocol. It's just not a player that is you know thought of as a full time NHLer, right? So the so the, the the company has policies, and then so that's sometimes when statements will be made. Another time that statements will be made is when we ask them. That's the part of this equation that I think is frequently forgotten. Todd McClellan didn't volunteer to talk about the penalty kill and to say, we think the penalty kill is improving, so everybody calm down. Todd McClellan was asked for the, <laughs> you know, 15th time over a two-week period to talk about the penalty kill and he was asked about it in a room full of people who had already heard him give lots of thoughts about the penalty kill right andrew asked him that question because andrew needed an answer to write the story that andrew was writing but in that room was john hoven dennis bernstein carlin Bates, zach dooley jesse cohen austin stanovich russell morgan uh some other people whose names escape me at the moment but i think dan greenspan was in there like there's a bunch of people all who have stories or reports to write or you know in my case talk about you know carlin's got to do her thing like we've all heard todd mcclellan talk about the penalty kill so he's not going to sit there and give andrew no Again, no offense to Andrew, I asked him permission to talk about him on this thing. But he's not there to write Andrew's article for him. You know, and when we go into the locker room after a win and talk to Phil Deneau or Kevin Fiala or Adrian Kempe, there we have them for 45 seconds, three minutes, and they're answering the questions we ask them. Right? They're not putting the soapbox up and saying, hey, everybody, listen to what I have Here's to say. Here's what I want to this. talk about today. Yeah. yeah. They're made available to us, and then they're answering the questions that we ask them in order to to do our jobs. And and so, like I said, we're not going to call anybody a donkey, but I would just ask sometimes for your own sake, Kings fans, um, just keep that in mind sometimes uh, when you're upset about quotes you read or hear. It's and it also, I mean, when you read it, it comes off differently than when you hear it. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It's like when you read an email, right? You always read it almost with the worst possible mindset. <laughs> yes, I certainly. And it's all, and a lot of times it's the same way with with the quotes, and it's hard to accurately convey. Yeah, even when you're transcribing it word for word, and like the way I do post game stories, it's simply presenting the information. It's not editorializing it at all. It's straight up. Here is what happened. Here is what was said. That's it. But still, it can be difficult to convey context in written form. And especially when it's a portion of a quote that gets taken and highlighted as, you know, the quote that you read was only a third of the quote, too. You know, like, Mm -hmm. so it's not even the full quote. So when you only use part of it and you only read part of it, especially can be very difficult to understand it entirely. Yeah. And and I... 
I also don't want to sound like I'm lecturing because I understand, like, my hope in having these conversations is is to help fans understand, right? Because when I was a fan, I would sit in Section 320 and I would say, why don't they start the third line at this home game? They just scored, you know, Ian LaPerrier just scored a hat trick on the road and this is the first home game back. Why don't you put Ian LaPerrier in the starting lineup so the fans can cheer? You know, and I'd get mad about it. Say, this stupid franchise, they don't care about the fans. It'd be so simple to just start Ian LaPerriere. It's a 60-minute game. He'll be on the ice for 45 seconds. Who cares? Rabble, rabble, rabble. Um, but the longer I work here, the more I realize, like, oh, there's all sorts of things going on. And so these quotes, I just, I see people reacting to them. And, and I know that I have myself reacted to quotes. And then, you you know, I'll hear Todd McClellan say something on the road. Then you'll come back and you and I will talk. And I'll want to ask Todd something in a morning availability or a couple of times I think I have. And then you've come up after me and laughed and said, you know, he's been asked that same question like eight times in the last three games. You know, me thinking I was being very clever and bringing something up, forgetting, of course, that there's two weeks of media availabilities that I wasn't able to be a part of. So, again, I'm not trying to cape for anybody. I'm not trying to defend anybody. This is just really, like I said, I'm hoping just a reminder of how the media apparatus uh, around an NHL team works. Especially in a media landscape where typically storylines are much shorter Mm -hmm. than one like this. You know, you don't see, you don't always see it because a lot of times like, and I think that's probably, it actually is almost the opposite of what I'm going to say, but like it's either, well, a lot of storylines are done the next day or two days when you play again. But at the same time, it's almost like everyone, including all of our attention spans, are so short that it's like you, it doesn't matter that the question was asked last game because it came up again this game. So you ask it again. Mm-hmm. And it's it kind of just leads to that with certain narratives, you know, you spin in circles a little bit. But at the same time, when when it is a 10 game streak, like asking about the penalty kill has to be on your list of questions to ask when it impacted the game. And it did. Well, and I think we are in a weird spot where the team's scoring more than it did last year. The power play scoring more than it did last year. We have a new high profile player brought in, in the off season, who's living up to the promise, you know, to the expectations. The team has sort of righted the ship from a month ago. Phoenix Copley has come in and performed well. There really isn't much controversy to discuss at the moment. No. And so, and so the penalty kill becomes, you know, ten games in a row and whatever. And again, I I don't blame Andrew for asking that question or anybody else that would ask any other question. As we said, it's been a topic of conversation for weeks now. I don't um, think you should be blamed at all. Like I no, I asked no, a question about the penalty kill after the game yeah. in Colorado, boy, two days before. So and and a question was asked at the morning skate of that game, and yep. <laughs> I'm sure it was asked the game before. Like it just it's a storyline, right? There's only and it's it's one that that merits a question. The other thing that I was sort of uh, that I left out that I wanted to include earlier is frequently the questions don't include or the answers rather don't include the questions. Right. So like you said, it's hard to convey tone of voice, context, et cetera. But sometimes the question themselves are also. Help shape the answer. Right. right? T- Todd's a smart guy and he can. Usually, it seems to me anyway, kind of suss out what the person's getting at. And then if he's in a mood to answer the 
question that the person's really asking. Frequently, he will. Sometimes he gives an answer that starts on the question you've asked, but gets into a much better question that you either were, I'll just talk about myself in this case, that I was too scared to ask or was trying to dance around. Um, And then sometimes, particularly after losses, and this came up earlier this season with an Ontario rain loss where Alex Turcott was interviewed after the game and was appropriately somber and, you know, subdued in his personality because the team had gotten their heads caved in. And I saw a lot of reactions of people talking about negative body language and what that must mean for the implications of the, you know, the uh, concussion issues that he'd had previously. And, oh, no, they've sapped him of his love for the game. And I just wanted to say, like, following a loss, your answers are always going to be tinged by that loss. And then, you know, how bad a loss it was, what kind of game it was played, what kind of mood Todd is in, what kind of question gets asked, how the question gets asked, how often the question gets asked, who's asking it. All of these things go into the recipe of what kind of answer we get. Um, So I don't know. I found that, you know, I worked in the HL with the rain for two Mm -hmm. years and Kings fans don't care if the rain win or lose. They just care about how the prospects performed. Yeah. The prospects themselves care if the team wins or loses. <laughs> right. And their emotions are tied to the games where those watching from a Kings lens, not not a rain specific lens, but a Kings lens, want to see happy Alex Turcotte that he scored two goals, not somber Alex Turcotte that they lost 5-2. Mm-hmm. And that was always the 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 approach that I saw when it was a a high level prospect being interviewed by myself or whoever with Ontario was the people involved directly are tied to the results of the team, not just the results of the individual, but from a Kings NHL lens, it's about developing prospects only. And I think that's where the disconnect came. At least that was what I picked up on. Yeah. And even at the NHL level, you know, McClellan will come in. I'm not entirely sure where he is, when we have the opportunity to go in the room and talk to the players and then he comes and speaks to us in the locker room, you know, on the podium and everything. But you can tell there are some games where, you know, win or lose, right. There's some games where he's wants to go home (laughs) or, you know, is willing to, you know, we've had, what was the shortest one we had this year is 45 seconds or something like that. And I think we have one of those this year, but last year, certainly, I mean, was it, did we not have? I thought well, there was Edmonton one in the playoffs. Edmonton yeah. in the playoffs was under a minute. I don't believe we had anything quite that. Uh, okay, maybe maybe I'm thinking of the Edmonton. Maybe game. maybe it was Winnipeg. Winnipeg at home was pretty short. Yeah, but then we've also had ones that have gone like 15 minutes, mm-hmm. um, and everywhere in between. I think the one the other night was eight minutes long, which is about seven depends too long. on you know how willingly active people are with yep. asking questions, right? Like you have some when you know if it's a a certain type of outcome, you might not have much you care to ask in that moment. And that, that certainly keeps it shorter. Just like the ones on the road are always shorter because yeah. <laughs> you know, typically there are two to three people yeah. asking or with the potential to ask as opposed to 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted, like I said, I wanted you specifically for this conversation because I don't think it's important, you know, like I said, I reached out to Andrew and asked him. I don't I don't necessarily think it's important who it is having these conversations, but just a reminder that some of these conversations last weeks, months, you know, who knows how long, right? Like there are certain 
some people have their talking points that they bring up. You know, there's some morning skates or or media availabilities after practice, you know, where you know who's going to, you know, Dennis Bernstein is always going to be the person who asks about the next starting goalie, right? Like, it's just, that's <laughs> just how it is. Um, I don't even think I could get away with asking that question. But at this point, if it's Dennis, it gets a laugh and it's fine, right? And that's just, it's just very hard to convey. I mean, every, everyone's trying to get different things. Right. From those avails, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. trying to write a game preview. If you can't look in the other day, it was obvious that Eric Stevens and myself were trying to write about Alex Edler as he approached his right. thousandth game. Whereas say you were in there trying to get sound bites and clips for the radio pregame show. Dennis isn't writing necessarily a story. He's looking for larger discussion points, you know, about the team and everyone in there. You know, Jim Fox is looking for specific things that he wants to talk about and analyze on the broadcast. So it's like everyone has their own agenda of what they're trying to get. And the people being interviewed can really only answer the questions that are asked of them, even if they don't believe they're the right questions to be asked. The Edler storyline is a perfect example, too, of what I'm talking about with the mood and the tenor of the postgame, because somebody I don't remember apologies, but somebody asked, find have been Eric, asked about Edler following the game in Philadelphia or against Philadelphia, which was Edler's thousandth game. And it was very clear that the question was designed to get right. Some sort of closing sentiment or thought on that story. But Todd even said in his answer, well, like I've said a dozen times over the last two weeks, right? Like, cause he's, you know, the, the answer that he gave was half the same, but also half different. And I used that quote today. In my and it was a about perfectly, and he's a pro, so it was a perfectly usable. Good it was quote. a question that had to be asked. Yes, and right? he like, gave it, the answer that had to be yeah. given. But Perfect. he, yeah. but he referenced the fact yeah. that but he'd he, been asked. He, he had been asked three times about yeah. the, that player the day before, um, but still, like you know, it, it had to be asked, as it was when Drew Doughty hit the milestone last year, as it was when Jonathan Quick hit the milestone, his milestone last year, and Andre Kopitar hit a thousand points here. But like, it's always going to come. And the penalty kill question should have been asked, right? And Andrew yeah. asked it well and and got the answer. So this is just yeah. sort of a way of button button hooking back towards you know the the notion of sometimes the answers have to be given, the questions have to be asked, and it's all part of this separate sport taking place <laughs> around the the actual game of hockey, which is us media folks trying to get um, our work done. So. Hopefully that wasn't too preachy or too boring for you guys, Kings fans. Um, in a couple of days, we're going to go through the top 10 storylines of the year because we'll be coming up on game 41. So I expect some of these talking points to get brought up again. And hopefully you can think back on this uh, conversation and let it give you that extra context and narrative. Talking to me or are you talking to the fans? Talking to the listeners, but I don't know. I trailed off there. Well, <laughs> as a listener, I guess yeah. I, I am. Look, I'm going to take this in. And I'm going to see how many of these talking points show up in the 10 moments of the year. At least one of them will. All right, Zach Dooley, thank you very much. Happy New Year. Yeah, likewise. And I'll see you tomorrow with practice. <laughs> <laughs>